Scripture reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. May God bless the reading of His Word. You know, the, uh, the church at Smyrna is the church we're going to look at this morning. And uh, we were talking about it earlier when we were having our prayer time before the service. And we were talking about, you know, the, the city Smyrna. Where is Smyrna? We've heard of New Smyrna Beach, Florida, you know. Well, this is not that. This is something different. Smyrna is actually located about 40 miles north of Ephesus. And what's interesting about these seven churches in Revelation is they're all kind of around each other, kind of in a kind of a circular pattern there, um, in kind of around modern-day uh, Turkey. And so Smyrna is uh, like Ephesus in the sense that it's a port city. It was a, it was a port city on the Aegean Sea. And it was situated in this naturally protected harbor and uh, nestled up into the foothills there. And it was a beautiful city, a very beautiful city uh, with its architecture and the way the city was laid out and planned. Uh, And also it was an extremely loyal city to the Roman Empire. So even before uh, the Roman Empire was an empire, uh, Smyrna aligned herself with Rome. Uh, Cicero called Smyrna one of our most faithful and our most ancient allies. And because of the loyalty of Smyrna, uh, it was chosen as the location for one of the temples that that was built during that time to the emperor, uh, for emperor worship. And it was in the soil there of this ambitious city, uh, this this city that's full of ambition. It was full of beauty. Uh, It was also full of emperor worship. Uh, it, was, it was in the soil of that city that this, this church sprung up. This church of Jesus Christ began. And it's this church that Jesus is writing to. Because in the city of Smyrna, these citizens, uh, what was happening is, as people came to know Christ as their Savior, what, what began to happen is you began to have a shift in loyalty. And so their, their loyalty began to shift, their ultimate loyalty, their ultimate loyalty began to shift from Rome to Christ. And uh, we know that whenever that happens, uh, when you have the uh, competition of two ultimate loyalties, uh, there can be some friction. You know, Jesus said well, you cannot serve two masters, right? Because you'll love one and hate the other. And so when you have these dividing loyalties and they kind of come up against each other, it can cause some friction. So I want you to think about, you know, what are you most loyal to? You know, who are you most loyal to? What are you most loyal to? And depending on what your ultimate loyalty, uh, where, where it lies, you know, you too may face friction. Because um, 
when your loyalties brush up against the loyalties of another, if they differ, um, that can produce some friction. And this is what they were experiencing in Smyrna, these Christians, because the emperor Domitian, uh, with his God complex, you know, demanded every citizen of Rome to profess that Caesar is Lord. And uh, some people in Smyrna began to profess that Jesus is Lord and refused to profess that Caesar is Lord and they refused to practice emperor worship. This produced some friction, which put the Christians obviously on the receiving end of governmental pressure, right? Obviously the government had a lot more power than the Christians did. Uh, So when these loyalties came up against each other and it created this friction... The Christians were the ones on the receiving end of great pressure. And so knowing what the church in Smyrna was experiencing and dealing with, Jesus sends this message to them through John. And it's this message that we have recorded here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8-11. through 11. And Jesus begins this message in verses 8 and 9, and He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation. And your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And so what we see here is the church in Smyrna was loyal to Jesus. And they realized that there was a cost to their commitment to Christ. And frankly, it's a cost that many of us have never really had to pay. And we may never have to pay this type of cost. Uh, the price of what it means to really be fully committed to Christ in the midst of a very hostile situation. But listen to what Jesus says to them. He says, first of all, I know. He says, I know what you're going through. I know what is happening in this city. I know the pressure you're facing. I know the hard time that you are experiencing. And you know, isn't isn't it just a comfort? I think there's just some level of comfort when people just know what we're dealing with. You know, even if somebody can't do anything about it, just the fact that they know that what we're experiencing, and maybe they can maybe they've shared in that experience to some degree, just the fact that they know about it, there's some comfort in that. And Jesus says, I know what you're going through. He knows what his church is dealing with because he's the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the churches. I mean, he is very familiar with his people and what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Because Jesus told his followers at the end of the book of Matthew uh, you know, that he will be with us. That he's not going to leave us or forsake us, but he's going to be with us. He's going to be in the midst. He knows what's going on. Uh, like Floyd mentioned earlier, he's, he's sovereign over all things. He knows what's happening. Uh, he's not an absentee landlord. He's present. He's available. And he is knowledgeable about, about our situation. And so the first thing he does is he makes sure that the church in Smyrna, he says, I know what you're going through. I know what's happening. And then the second thing we see is that Jesus lists three ways that those outside the church were seeking to crush the Christianity out of the Christians. And that's what they were trying to do. Crush the Christianity out of the Christians because it's the loyalty factor that was the friction. They would not profess Caesar as Lord, and so there was a loyalty problem. 
right? And so they said, hey, we're going to crush the Christianity out of these people and so that they will be loyal to the emperor. And that's what they were trying to accomplish. And Jesus knows what's going on and He lists three ways that they were trying to accomplish this. The first thing that He says is that He knows their tribulation. And the word for tribulation means being crushed by a weight. I mean, literally being crushed. And He says, I know you're being crushed. And I know surely one of the main ways that those outside the church were seeking to apply this crushing pressure was by telling the authorities in the city that there are those who refuse to say Caesar is Lord. You know, kind of like your tattletales, right? They're saying, hey, we know some people in this city that will not profess Caesar is Lord. They're called Christians. And then they will name them in order to try to bring down the pressure of the government on these Christians and try to crush them. And this would cause the Christians, I mean, just put yourself in their situation. You're walking around your city not knowing if you're going to make it home that day or is someone going to arrest you and put you into prison simply for believing in Jesus. I mean, this was the reality of the church in Smyrna. I mean, can you imagine walking around Augusta, just going about your business and just not knowing whether or not you're going to be home tonight? or whether you're going to be locked up in jail, simply for believing in Jesus. I mean, this is the cost they were paying for following Jesus. And this is a cost that we, none of us have experienced. I mean, not to this degree. But yet there are Christians all over the world who experience this very cost and pay the price uh, for following Jesus. And this was the cost that they were paying in Smyrna. A second way that they were being crushed is what we might call economic sanctions. You know, they're experiencing these economic sanctions. Their, their very financial livelihood was being taken away from them simply because they were Christians. You know, the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, tells us that there were even groups that would target Christians and, and break in and, and rob them and steal everything that they would have. This was part of the persecution the, the early church was facing. And the word that Jesus uses there for poverty, He says, I know your poverty. This word for poverty is not simply one that means uh, you just have a little bit of resources. This word for poverty means that you are completely impoverished and destitute. That almost everything has been taken from you. And He says, I know that. I know that's what you're dealing with. Can you imagine having your boss or your company refuse to give you your paycheck simply because you're a Christian and the government being okay with that. I mean, this is what they were facing. Their very financial livelihood was being taken away. And again, this is what many Christians experience around the world. I mean, this is... I don't know if you've all experienced that. I've never experienced that. But this is what they were experiencing. They were trying to crush the Christianity out of the Christians. And the third way they were being crushed is through slander. You know, slander is speaking lies about someone with the intent to harm them. And that's what they were doing. And there were several ways that the early church and these early Christians were being slandered. But the motivation was to crush the Christ out of them. So that they would give up their loyalty to Jesus. I mean, that was the whole point. That was the motivation. And so knowing they were facing these pressures... Jesus gives them this message 
And then he tells them this. It's not going to get easier. He says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. They're slandering you. I know that. And it's going to get worse. This is what he says in verses 10 and 11. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you, throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So he says, hey, in addition to the tribulation and the poverty and the slander, you're going to experience prison too. This is coming. You're going to experience some prison time. And Jesus says, this is, this is going to test you. So what are they testing? You know, have, you ever, have you ever taken a test or maybe you've encountered a test question and you said to yourself, I have no idea what this test question is asking. Right? And some of you may be thinking, Ron... You've just summed up my whole educational experience. <laughs> you know, I never know what they're asking on these, on these tests. Uh, and I've been there, okay? I know what you're talking about. But, but that wasn't the case here, okay? They knew what the test was all about. And the Christians knew very well what was being tested. And what was being tested here is their loyalty to Christ. That is what was being tested. By all the pressure, the poverty, the slander, and the prison time, their loyalty to Christ was being tested. You know, what do you love the most? What do you want the most? I mean, they were being tested. They were being squeezed. They were being pressured. And, you know, here's what happens. You know, people are like toothpaste tubes. You know, when you squeeze them, you put pressure on them, something comes out. And the question is, what is it that will come out? And that's what Jesus said. You're being tested. You're being squeezed. Be ready. Be faithful. So when you're squeezed, what will come out? What will be revealed? On a side note, let me tell you another interesting little fun fact about Smyrna. The name Smyrna is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for myrrh. And many of you know what myrrh is. You know, myrrh is an uh, a aromatic uh, plant that is used in, uh, as a perfume. It was used as a perfume. It was also used uh, for burials as well. And the way you, you uh, kind of extract the aroma of the plant is by crushing it. And by crushing the plant, you bring out the fullness of its fragrance. And you know, there's another plant that's similar to that. Uh, it's called rosemary. Have any of you ever planted rosemary? Well, we planted some in our backyard a few years ago. And um, it's a very uh, low-maintenance plant. And the reason I know that is because we planted it and we haven't done anything to it and it's still alive. So if you're looking for a low-maintenance plant, rosemary may be the way you go. Well, every time I cut the grass... Yeah, I, re- I never give any attention to this rosemary. I mean, never. I don't even hardly even recognize it's there. Um, except for when I cut the grass. And when I cut the grass, 
Because we have it planted kind of in the corner of the fence area. There's a corner there uh, where the two fence lines come together. And we have it planted there. And so I'm making the turn with the lawnmower. And every time I make the turn, I catch some of that rosemary. I guess that's the way I prune it. You know, I just run over with the lawnmower. Uh, but it's still living. I mean, it's a low-maintenance plant. So there you go. But anyway, I always catch it with the lawnmower. And the moment I cut it with the lawnmower, the, the moment I run over it, you know, my sense of smell is just flooded with the, the fragrance of rosemary. Whereas before, I didn't even notice it was there. I mean, I never smell it. I mean, I guess if you went right up to it and you smelled it, you could smell it. But I never really smell it until I run over it with the lawnmower. And then all this fragrance comes just rushing into my nostrils that I can't help but smell this rosemary. And you know, you never really know how good the plant smells until it's crushed. Until it's disturbed a little. And you know, when you read through the Scripture, what we see is there is a connection between suffering and sanctification. You know, there, there's a connection between uh, being pushed out of our comfort zone and even experiencing some crushing in order for our character to be formed. Because, you know, character is not really formed in comfort. And what we see in the Scripture is that God uses difficulties in our lives. He uses those times we walk through suffering. Even if it's through the sin of others, even the devil himself, as we see in this passage, God somehow uses it to produce something in our lives and even uses it as a ministry to those around us. And you know, when God is at work in our lives and we see the pressure that comes in from without or even from our own sin and we're squeezed, something's revealed. An aroma is put out there for the world to smell, so to speak. And what's fascinating about this church in Smyrna is there is no rebuke from Jesus in this message to this church. Because as they were being crushed, tribulation, poverty, slander, imprisonment, even death, this aroma of the loyalty to Jesus was just being put all throughout the city. And I don't know about you, but when I am pressured, uh, crushed, squeezed, what comes out of my life is not always this sweet aroma of loyalty to Christ or Christ-likeness. I don't, I don't know about you. <laughs> but when I'm squeezed, sometimes that doesn't come out. Other things come out like self-centeredness or bitterness or hate or disgust. You know, these other things that come out that are not of the Lord, but that are of my sin nature. And when those, time, when those times happen to you, and you see that come out, this is an opportunity. Obviously, that's not what we want to see come out, right? It's not, it, I, you probably wouldn't uh, be excited about you know, squeezing your toothpaste tube and like mud coming out. You know? <laughs> that would be a disappointment, right? So you don't want to do that. You know, I heard of a prank one time where you put uh, raisins inside of the toothpaste tube. And so when your, you know, your friend or whatever squeezes their toothpaste tube, raisins come out. That would be disgusting. 
And so that's not what you want to see brushing your teeth in the morning or the evening, right? So sometimes when we're squeezed, things come out that we don't like. Uh, but for, for, us that are, you know, for those of us who are Christians, this is an opportunity for us to say, to call it what it is and say, you know, Lord, I see as I'm squeezed, this is coming out. And this isn't, this isn't representing you. This isn't from the Spirit. This is coming from some other place. And I need to bring this to you and confess it and ask you, God, would you help me to become more of a vessel for your spirit to work through? So that when I'm squeezed, when I'm pressured, what comes out is not these raisins and whatnot, but, but this aroma of Christ. That's what I want to see come out. So I will represent you even as I'm pressured, even unjustly as I'm pressured, that they will see something of Jesus and you wonder, you look at this church and you say, you know, and I wonder if you're even thinking this. I mean, how did they remain loyal to Christ in such hard situations? I mean, how did they do that? And I look at the passage and I think, you know, I guess, I guess the way they did it, the only way I can think of, of how they were able to do it is that they were primary, their, you know, their desire was primarily set not on achieving comfort, but achieving the crown of life. This is the only explanation I can think of. That their drive in life was not just to be comfortable, but to achieve the crown of life, to receive the crown of life from Christ Himself. You know, Jesus reminds them of His promise. In verse 10, He says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You see, if... If your primary goal in life is comfort, if that's your goal, then you will refuse to have your character formed. And what will happen is when the heat is turned up and you begin to be pressured, what you'll do is your loyalty will be switched. You will switch your loyalty to whatever helps you become comfortable. And so if you were in Smyrna and the pressure was turned up, you would just say, okay, yeah, Christ isn't Lord. Um, so who do you want me to say is Lord? Yeah, I'll do that. Because I'm concerned with comfort. But those in Smyrna were not primarily concerned with comfort. They were concerned with being faithful to Christ. And that is the only explanation I know of that would help them to persevere in such difficult times. And so the question is, you know, do we avoid suffering? Do we just try to dance around it? Or do we think God's going to achieve character formation in our lives apart from it? Probably not. It's probably not going to happen. Because you look at Jesus Himself. What did the devil tempt Jesus with in the, in the wilderness? You remember when the devil tempted Jesus? Here's what the devil told Jesus. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And you don't even have to go to the cross. You can have all the kingdoms. Without the suffering. And Jesus didn't fall for the devil's trap, obviously. But He fulfilled God's will and went to the cross. And that's why Jesus says, I know your suffering. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander. I know the imprisonment. And I even know death itself. Because Jesus, through His suffering brought about life, the crown of life. And so Jesus knows what suffering is like. And Jesus knows the taste of victory, right? Through His resurrection. And so it's through, through the death of Christ 
that we receive the forgiveness of our sin. And it's through His resurrection that we have the confidence that we will have eternal life with Him. And it's through the death and resurrection of Christ that He ushers in the kingdom of God. But it all came about through suffering. And this is why He began His message, I believe, to the church in Smyrna when He says this in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, listen to what He says about Himself. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And I think Jesus is just letting them know. I know. I know the tribulation. I know the poverty. I know the slander. I know the imprisonment. And more. And He says, I died and I came to life. And He reminds them when He says, you'll be in prison for ten days. Your tribulation will be temporary. It's not forever. Your tribulation will be temporary for those who remain loyal to Christ. Because Jesus promises to give those who persevere persevere in the faith, what does He promise? The crown of life. Eternal life with God forever. And He also promises those who have faith in Him will not be hurt by what's called the second death. So, Christian, you probably will experience the first death unless Christ comes back before then. We will experience the first death, but He says you will not be hurt by the second death. See, the second death is ultimate separation from God forever. That is the second death. When Christ returns and judges the world, there's this great separation between those who will be with Him forever and those who will be separated from Him for eternity. That is the second death. So you either have eternal life or you experience the second death. And Jesus says, you, you will experience most likely the first death, but those who are, who are in Christ will not be hurt by the second death. So yes, the world may put pressure on you because of your faith. You may experience economic set, setbacks. You know, even in our country, you may experience that because of your faith. You may even find your own government making laws against you. And I hope this never happens, but you may find yourself even facing death because of your faith in Jesus. But we see Jesus strengthens His church in Smyrna, and He strengthens us as well when He says that He knows what we're going through, and even though difficulties and even death may come, for those who are in Christ, they will not be hurt by the second death. Rather, they will receive the crown of life and be with God forever. Now, as I close, I want to share with you... uh, I want to share with you the story of the most well-known Christian in the church in Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. And he was the bishop or pastor uh, of the church in Smyrna. Not too long after John wrote this letter. And William Barclay gives an excellent summary of what happened to Polycarp at the end of his life. And I want to share with you uh, this account. It was Saturday, February the 23rd, and the year was 155 A.D. It was a time of the public games. The city was crowded because they, they, had, they hosted these games that were similar to the Olympic Games there in Smyrna. So uh, it was the time for the games. The city was crowded. The crowds were excited. And suddenly the shout went up, Away with the atheist! And that's what they, that's what they called Christians, atheists, because... Christians did not believe in the gods of Rome. 
They only believed in the one true God. And so they called them atheists because they didn't embrace the gods of Rome. And so the shout went up, away with the atheist, let Polycarp be searched for. And Polycarp was probably the most well-known Christian in the city because he was the bishop or pastor of the church. He says that no doubt Polycarp could have escaped. He probably heard about this shout going up and news probably reached him, but he had already had a dream in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire. And he had awakened to tell his disciples, I must be burned alive. His whereabouts was betrayed to the persecutors by a little slave who collapsed under torture. And so the governmental officials came to arrest him. Now listen to what he did. As they came to arrest Polycarp, this is what he did. He ordered that those who had come for him should be given a meal. And provided with all they wished. And he just asked for this one privilege for himself. That he could spend one last hour in prayer. Now not even the police captain wanted Polycarp to die. And on the brief journey to the city where the mob was there in the Colosseum, he pled with the old man. And this is what the police captain told Polycarp. He said, what, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer sacrifice and be saved? I mean, what's, what's the big deal? Just do that and you'll live, you know? But Polycarp was adamant that for him, only Jesus Christ was Lord. And he entered the arena And there came a voice from heaven saying, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making sacrifice to Caesar or death. And this is what Polycarp said. Eighty and six years have I served him, said Polycarp. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning. And Polycarp replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come, do what you will. 86-year-old man. I mean... It's an amazing story. But in spite of all the appeals of even the, the uh, persecutors, they didn't want Polycarp to die. Just, just say Caesar is Lord and just be, you know, it's no big deal. Polycarp remained immovable. So the crowds came flocking with burning torches from workshops and from the baths. And the Jews, even though it was the Sabbath, and even though they were breaking the Sabbath, Sabbath law by carrying such burdens, were foremost in the clamor and foremost in bringing wood for the fire. And they were going to bind him to the stake. Now listen to this, okay? They're going to bind him to the stake and burn him in the, in the arena. And this is what Polycarp said, Leave me as I am, he said. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames, unmoved, even without the security you will give by the nails. In other words, he's saying... I will, I will not move. Light me on fire and I will stay right here and burn up. You don't have to bind me. So they left him loosely bound in the flames. 
And as he was burning, Polycarp prayed this great prayer. Listen to what he, what he prayed. O Lord God Almighty, Father of Thy beloved and blessed child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of Thee, God of angels and powers and of all creation, and of the whole family of the righteous who live before Thee, I bless Thee that Thou hast granted unto me this day and hour, that I may share among the number of the martyrs in the cup of Thy Christ, for the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body in the immortality of the Holy Spirit. And may I today be received among them before Thee as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, as Thou, the God without falsehood and of truth, has prepared beforehand and and shown forth and fulfilled. For this reason I also praise Thee for all things. I bless Thee, I glorify Thee through the eternal and heavenly High Priest Jesus Christ, Thy beloved child through whom be glory to Thee with Him and the Holy Spirit, both now and for the ages that are to come. Amen. And so Polycarp died at Smyrna, a martyr for the faith and faithful unto death. And so I hope for you and for me, you know, as we, as we face challenges, as we face difficulties, probably nowhere near that of Polycarp and those Christians in Smyrna, I'm hoping that their example and the example of Polycarp will strengthen our resolve to stay loyal to Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this message to the church in Smyrna. Thank You for their faithfulness to their Savior. Thank You for this testimony of Polycarp, this early Christian who remained faithful unto death. Lord, and we acknowledge that we probably will not experience such severe trials here. But we will experience trials nonetheless. Difficulties. Opportunities to um, become loyal to something else other than Jesus. And Lord, I pray in whatever situation we may find ourselves in, whatever difficulties may come our way or we may be experiencing even today that as we're squeezed as we're crushed as the pressure rises Lord I pray that what what, what we would see come out of our lives more and more is the aroma of Christ Christ likeness loyalty to Christ and Lord that you would help us to see those things that originate in our sin nature that they would diminish so that others may see you in us. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.